If you would, please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, I believe it can be found on page 184 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Let me invite you to follow along, even if you have it memorized. Go ahead and follow along. As you're turning there, I want to just make mention, as hopefully many of you have heard now, we did lose a dear brother this past weekend, Tom Cowan. Uh, he was a faithful man of God, and I'm going to miss him. But we're going to honor, honor and celebrate his life uh, this Wednesday here at Cornerstone. There'll be visitation from 12 to 1.30, and then at 1.30 there'll be a memorial service followed by a graveside service. And so let me just invite you to come and uh, as, we, as we honor uh, this dear brother and as we celebrate his love for Jesus. So that will be this Wednesday. Joshua chapter 10, a very long passage here. We're going to read verses 1 through 29, 1 through 28, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse 40. This is God's holy word to us this morning. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and to its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Param, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and Yahweh threw in a panic before the, threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekai and Machadai. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, Yahweh threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekai, and they died. There were more who died before the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to Yahweh in the day when Yahweh gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Stand still, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the, in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? 
The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since. When Yahweh heeded the voice of a man, for Yahweh fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Machadi. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings had been found in the cave of Machadi. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for Yahweh your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Machadi. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought the five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they had brought the kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus Yahweh will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards Joshua struck them and put them to death and hanged them on five trees. And they hung on trees until evening. But at that time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. And as for Machadai, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king. With the edge of the sword, he devoted to the destruction every person in it. He left nothing, none remaining, and he did to the king of Machadi just as he had done to the king of Jericho. You will skip ahead to me with verse 40. The rest of those verses have to do with conquest of the land. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country of the Negev, and the lowlands, and the slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as Yahweh, God of Israel, commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all the kings and their land at one time, because Yahweh, God of Israel, fought for them, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp. At Gilgal. Let's pray. O Lord, you are the king, and you are mighty, and you fight for your people, and you're teaching us that here in this passage. Lord, would you teach our hearts, would you help us to see the truth that you would have for us about who you are and what you do for your people, your church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In recent years, you may have noticed there's been a massive reboot of the Toy Story franchise. Who's excited about that, you know? (laughs) With that massive reboot of the Toy Story franchise has been the revival of many of the classic toys. One such toy is the rebirth of Mr. Potato Head. 
I mean, think about how novel our toys are. You know, they, somebody used to take a potato and stick stuff in it, and that was a toy, you know. And so then somebody said, you know, we should market that. And here we go, Mr. Potato Head. If you're not familiar with Mr. Potato Head, you, how it works, at the center of its mass is, is a body like a potato. And you can take many of its body parts and accessories, and you can make Mr. Potato Head into whatever you want him to be, okay? If you want Mr. Potato Head to have legs for his eyes, then you go ahead. You could do that. If you want Mr. Potato Head to have ears for a mouth, that is your prerogative. You go right ahead. The point is, you can make Mr. Potato Head to be whatever you want and whatever you want him to look like. You are Mr. Potato Head's creator, okay? You got it? Well, unfortunately, this child's toy illustrates a lot of people's view of God. We treat him like Mr. Potato Head. And we like to take certain aspects of God from the Bible, certain attributes that we might think of from the world, or even things from our own minds, and we put them together to make the God of our own making. A God, little g, that is. My friends, this is unfortunate and dangerous. The reason being is because when you do this, we most certainly will create for ourselves a God that is not like the God of the Bible. Because the God that we would create, the God that we would fashion together, would probably think and much like us, think and act much like we do, and not like the holy and mighty and just God of the Bible. So let me ask you this. If you were creating your own God, much like playing with the pieces of Mr. Potato Head, would your God be a warrior? Would he be one that fights? Would he be one that rains down terror on his enemies? Would he be like the God that we find here in Joshua chapter 10? In our Bible passage today, we're faced yet again with the biblical truth about who Yahweh God is and what he has done. And some of these things that we read may have even made you uncomfortable. I can't not believe that God would allow his people to do something like this. But in this passage, we discover Yahweh God is a warrior. And he fights. And he fights for his people. And when it says that Yahweh God fought for Israel, it means that he attacked those who opposed his plan, his conquest. This is why Moses would say in Exodus, Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. You know, one of the great honors and blessings that I have as a dad is being protector of my family, especially of my children. When someone is going to intimidate them or bother them or provoke them, wrath and vengeance swells up in me. I'm ready to fight for my children, for my family. I'm going to protect them no matter what. Yahweh God is that way too. Israel is his children. Israel is his people. He is a loving and protecting father and he will fight for his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Does your theology have room for a God who is passionate for the holiness and protection of his people so much so that he will fiercely fight for them and that he will do intimidating and violent things to show his passion and love for his people. And I pray that our study of Joshua 10 this morning will give you strength and courage to know that this is the God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he 
fights for you. Oftentimes we think that the God that we read here in Joshua, he's the God of the Old Testament. He's not really that way anymore. He's more of a, a gentle and mild God. But this is not just an Old Testament idea. In Revelation we read, as the Apostle John records, that one day heaven will be opened, and behold, there is one who will come on a white horse. And sitting on that white horse is one called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Our King Jesus, when he returns, he will fight for his church, for his people. Victory was achieved in Joshua 10 because Yahweh God fought for his people. That's the theme that we're going to look at this morning. Yahweh God fights for his people. We see that especially in verse 14 and verse 42. That's the truth that we need to hold on to this morning. Yahweh God fights for his people. He fights for you. He fights for his church. And this truth actually has many benefits, has many blessings that we need to explore in this passage. And so I want us to look at six truths, six benefits that come from this fact that Yahweh God fights for his people. The first is it instills fear in those who are against him. It also gives us courage to keep fighting. It gives us confidence in prayer. It silences our enemies. It gives us assurance of victory. And it gives us freedom to obey. I'm going to go back through those six truths. But the first here is the truth that God fights for his people instills fear in those who are against him. If you look at those first few verses, verses 1 through 5, we, you may remember that in Joshua chapter 10, we're right in the middle of a military campaign. Israel has entered the promised land. The, the fighting force is in full draw. They are conquering city by cities, very powerful, mighty cities. They've conquered Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon. And essentially, Joshua had cut a, a swath right down through the middle of Canaan. He had driven a wedge between the north and the south. And this strategy would have prevented the whole land and all these different kingdoms from coming together and coming out against uh, Israel. But there were some foreign kings here in the north who were catching on to what Joshua was doing and were trying to see what his military strategy was going to accomplish. And so the dark Lord Zedek, under his leadership, he wanted to stop Joshua's advancement. And so he mustered all the Amorite evil alliance that he could to fight against Gibeon, who had made a treaty with Israel. And the point is, in verse 2, we read that Adonai Zedek and his Amorite cronies, they greatly feared Joshua. They could have made a peace treaty with the, uh, like the Gibeonites did, but instead their fear drove them to want to fight to want to try to battle Israel. But they were afraid because they had seen that Yahweh, God was giving Joshua and all of Israel great victories. And they thought either we're going to be wiped out or we've got to go fight. As Chris Tomlin says, when the God of angel armies is on your side, who shall I fear? Who could possibly stand against you? What could possibly harm you? Did Adonai Zedek really think that he and his cronies were going to win against the Lord of angel armies? Nothing. Yahweh God fighting for his people was instilling fear 
in their enemies. The second truth is that God fights for his people. This gives us courage to keep fighting, to keep battling. We see in verses 6 through 11, uh, we, we have this, this strength and courage of the people. Now, under many normal military circumstances, when you have a coalition being gathered together to fight against one common enemy, you naturally could build a very large and very intimidating and very mighty army. And so Israel had to be thinking that once they saw what these Amorite kings were doing, coalescing together to come and fight against them, they had to be thinking, oh no, what did we do? How are we going to be able to fight against this massive force now that they have an alliance to come together against us? The victory is only possible because Yahweh God, he actually fights for and with his people. We see the Lord fighting for his people in very tangible ways in this story. By instilling fear in the enemies, by throwing down hailstones, by causing confusion, by stopping the sun from setting one day making Israel an unstoppable military force. But then there's the assurance of the mighty God who fights for his people, who goes before them. And Yahweh God comes to Joshua and says, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. He says, Not a man of them shall be able to stand before you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear One of the traps that Christians can often fall into is that as long as we we repeat these these mantras or these little Christian cliches in our minds over and over, then surely God will do this. All you have to do is go to the Christian bookstore and say the the, the, uh, uh, personal edification shelf, and it'll say, if you just do this every day, then your life will be blessed. Right? You know, if you just say this every day or repeat this prayer every day, don't do that. Don't buy those books, okay? Trust me. (laughs) But there is one mantra that is repeated over and over in Scripture, and especially here in Joshua. And that mantra is to be strong and take courage and do not fear. Be strong and courageous, God says over and over to his people. But it's always followed by this caveat, right? It's not just. Be strong in yourself, you know, gird up your loins, pull up your own bootstraps. No, it's to be strong and courageous and do not fear because the Lord your God is with you. In other words, any strength and any courage that we have is not necessarily in ourselves. It's because Yahweh God, He gives it to us. It's strengthen the Lord God, not in ourselves. And so Yahweh God repeats again what He had already said to Joshua multiple times. Do not fear. And this is how God usually works. This is how God is constantly reassuring and giving strength and courage to his people. Not by giving them some new revelation or some new little cliche or or some new gimmick. But he comes to reaffirm his people with the same old good and trusted promises. The same truth that it has been true for God's people for thousands of years. Do not fear. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. Pastor Dale Ralph Davis says this is what God's people usually need. Not new truth, but old truth freshly applied to their current need 
in this old truth. It started in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is the truth that we need, the courage that we need to keep fighting. The third truth there, the truth that God fights for his people gives us confidence in prayer. We see that in verses 12 through 15. When Israel was fighting the Amorite alliance, perhaps Joshua took note that they were going to need a little more daylight to, conf- to finish, the, finish off the, the foreigners, to finish off the, their enemies, because they were routing them. They were destroying this people. And so what Joshua did was pray. Sun be still. More daylight was going to be needed. What is astounding here, I think, is not necessarily the fact that the sun stood still. I think what is amazing here, what's astounding here, is that the Lord answered Joshua's prayer. The Bible says that there has never been a day like this when a man, when the Lord heeded the prayer of a man. Think about that. Was this an eclipse? Did the sun and moon physically, literally stop in the sky? Did God somehow throw shade on his enemies? We don't know for sure. Uh, Let's don't get wrapped up in the astrophysics and cosmology of this passage because we don't know. But what we do know is that God sovereignly intervened in a a miraculous way to help give his people victory here. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it remarkable that Yahweh God listened to Joshua's prayer? That's the point here. God listens in prayer. It's amazing that God hears us and answers our prayer. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Yahweh God intervened here. He helped. Knowing that God loves Israel, that he was with Joshua, and that he was fighting for them, that gave Joshua confidence to pray and ask the Lord God Almighty to sovereignly intervene and to give them victory. This is the God to whom we pray. He is the Lord who can move mountains. He can cause the sun and moon to stop. This truth gives us great confidence in prayer. The fourth truth there, the truth that God fights for his people, silences our enemies. Look there in verse 21. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel after they were thoroughly defeated. After Joshua dealt a great blow to the Amorites, there was complete silence. In other words, the Amorites were so soundly defeated that they were completely demoralized. They could not speak evil or slander Israel because the victory that Yahweh God had achieved for them was complete and was utter. Utter defeat. Today, though, we're not called to smash our enemies into smithereens every time they say something wrong against us. But we are called to live in such a way that we are to glorify God with our words and in our actions. And we are to do so in such a way that there will be nothing that anyone can do to slander us or to say bad about our Lord because of our witness. 
That is what the Apostle Peter does to, says to encourage the church. In 1 Peter 2.12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. You see that? Why is that person acting that way? Why is that person loving and serving in that way? It's because of the Lord. And they will give glory to God. Later in 1 Peter 3, he says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, we are called to live in such a way that we are honoring and glorifying God, that our enemies are silent. Because we're glorifying God and we're doing good on his behalf. Fifth truth here. The truth that God fights for his people gives us assurance of victory. Assurance of victory. We read that in verses 22 through 25. A visible sign that God gave to his people to show them that he fights for them and he will give them victory is proven by the fact that the five Amorite kings were literally subdued under the feet of Israel. Joshua had his commanders come and put their foot over the throats of these kings. This scene was a visible sign to all of Israel, to all of God's people, to all of time, that God will do what he said he would do. Israel would have strength and courage because God will do to all of their enemies just as he did to these Amorite kings. Sometimes we just need a sign, right? Sometimes we need a visible reminder that the Lord our God is with us, that he will do what he says he will do, that we can have victory over sin, that we can have relief in this world from our misery. And this is why the sacraments are so important. This is why communion, this is why baptism These are visible signs of the victory that Christ has secured for us by his life and death. But this scene also reminds us of the great victory that Jesus has accomplished for us. He has crushed the head of Satan. He has subdued him under his feet by his death on the cross. The Lord our God, he fights for us. Or in New Testament terms, We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the imagery, not of a Savior who is meek and mild, but a warrior, a king who is strong and mighty, who is a righteous judge who makes war on his adversaries. Because let's be honest, let's be truthful here, let's be practical here. We do not need a mild or soft Jesus to tackle life's problems. Or to give us hope. We need a warrior who fights for us to bring us victory, either with or without us. We need a warrior who will fight for us to, if we were to have any hope in the messiness of life. And the final truth here from the story, the truth that God fights for his people, gives us freedom to obey. Look in verse 40. Joshua conquered all the land in the hill country that they were on battle, on mission to do at this point. There was none remaining. Everything was devoted to destruction. 
they did everything that Yahweh their God commanded them to do. The southern campaign of the promised land was complete. It would have been easy for them simply to have settled on their present accomplishments. Look at all that we have done. Surely we can stop now. But the job was not finished. God still had more for them to do. They had to keep fighting. And they were obedient. The point is this. Obedience is freedom. Obedience is freedom. It's not slavery to obey because when you are in slavery to sin and disobedience, that is not freedom. It is a blessing to obey, not a burden. There is great joy in glorifying God and enjoying Him forever through obedience to God's ways and His will for your life. And so what is it in your life right now that is so tough, so burdensome, so worrisome, that God is calling you to obedience to keep fighting, to keep praying, to keep pursuing righteousness, to be strong and courageous in the battle that the Lord has for you. This is what obedience looks like, knowing that God fights for you and he gives you freedom to obey. Now, it would be easy for us to read these stories of conquest and victory and become puffed up and confident in ourselves and lose sight of our great need of the Lord in all of our circumstances. But the ultimate teaching of this chapter is forward-looking. The scriptures are forward-looking here in the Old Testament. Is what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 8, Romans 8 that we read earlier, the amazing way in which the saints of God persevere in the Christian life because through Jesus Christ we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. In other words, Life is more than simple victories over financial stress or, or uh, family concerns or, or conflict or you name it. In Christ, our victory is spiritual in nature. Our victory is more secure because it has eternal ramifications. Yes, God cares and he is worried about your life and the material and physical needs that you have, but he is more worried about your soul and the eternal security of it. So in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are better than simply victors. It is better than having your favorite team winning. Because God takes all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our struggles, and even uses what seems like loss, what seems like tragedy, and He uses it for good in the lives of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. So what assurance we have here. That God is taking everything in your life, good, bad, stressful, and he is going to use it for his glory and your good. This is so assuring and so comforting that maybe you need to remind yourself of this truth this morning. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. That he is using everything in your life for his glory and your good. Maybe you need to lean over to a friend this morning and put your finger, their finger on this truth and say it's going to be okay because we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to let the great pastor, theologian, Bible scholar, Matthew Henry here has the last word. The Lord fought for Israel. They could not have gotten the victory if God had not undertaken the battle. 
We conquer when God fights for us. If He be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank You that You are a mighty warrior, that You fight for us, and that the truth of the matter is that if You are for us, what can be against us? Either life, nor death, nor angels, or demons, heights, or depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from Your love, because we are more and conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you that he is a mighty warrior, that he fights for us, that he has demonstrated his love by surrendering himself to death on the cross for us so that one day we may be raised to newness of life, so one day we may have that complete and final victory. We thank you that he has accomplished our greatest need by making us righteous in your sight. We praise you and thank you, Lord, that you fight for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.